Hello and welcome to the Just Cause podcast, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Granite Exchange. I am your host, Sarah Henry, and throughout this brand new podcast series, I will be speaking to some amazing people doing incredible work to support Just Causes across Northern Ireland. Throughout this series, I will be speaking with Northern Ireland charities to learn more about the very important work that they do, how much money they need to raise annually to keep the charities going, and how they have been affected by the recent global pandemic. So wherever you get your podcast from, remember to keep an eye out for new episodes over the next six weeks and subscribe to stay up to date. So today I am joined by Eileen Murphy, who is the CEO of Women's Aid Armagh Down. Hi Eileen. Hi Sarah. Okay, so it's great to have you here, Eileen. And I will say just to listeners, I'm actually a board member, lucky to be a board (laughs) member on Women's Aid Armagh Down. So I have a little bit of knowledge about the the organisation, but really just scratching the surface. Eileen's going to fill us in a lot more today. And I'm sure many of our listeners are really familiar with the fantastic work that Women's Aid does in this area. But I'm going to give just a little bit of background. So Women's Aid Armagh Down, what, has been providing 35 years of specialist specialised domestic violence services in the Armagh Down area. It began in 1983 as a response to the urgent need to provide vital support and accommodation to women and children experiencing domestic violence in the Newry, Mourne, South Down and South Armagh area. Due to continuous and urgent demand for their service, the organisation has grown from a single drop-in office to a 25-bed refuge and a very busy women's resource centre in Newry, Armagh and Portadown. Just a few of the recent statistics show that last year, so 2019 to 2020, the 30 staff supported 643 women, 40 of them came through refuge. Uh, 32 of those women were actually pregnant and 857 children and young people. We know that domestic and sexual violence is a global pandemic. In 12 months from the 1st of July 2019 to the 30th of June 2020, there were 32,127 domestic abuse incidents in Northern Ireland, an increase of 570 on the previous 12 months and the highest 12-month period recorded since the start of the data series in 2004 to 2005. Domestic violence accounts for 15.6% of the overall crime in Northern Ireland and results in six murders annually, which represents 35, 37.5% of all murders in Northern Ireland. The PSNI attends approximately 84 domestic-related incidents per day and there remains significant underreporting. The financial cost of domestic violence annually in Northern Ireland is close to £1 billion, and there is an additional serious long-term human cost. So startling statistics there, Eileen, and nothing I'm sure that surprises you within that. Mm. Um, but it's great to be joined um, by you today. So just about you then yourself, <laughs> before we get on to the fantastic work of Women's Aid, a little bit of background. Um, I know little snippets of information, very interesting. But just how did you start, I suppose, your work with Women's Aid? You know, just let our yeah. listeners know about you. <coughs> well, I formally um, took up position as a team leader in February of 2003 but before that I was on the board of Women's Aid and before that I was a volunteer um, running programs from from the centre Um, and truly in the vast part of my adult life I've always been part of a volunteering um, ethos because I I love working with people so you know I've I've worked with the Simon community I've worked with the Samaritans I've worked with them respite care and different things so Women's Aid was just a very natural um, 
port, point of reference for me. I mean, I, I love the work they do. And, and, and you know, I think uh, women always have such so many different additional barriers to being able to live safe and healthy lives mm-hmm. um, that it really just sang to me. And uh, I was delighted to be yeah. appointed as the team leader back then. And I've, I've, I love my work. I, I love the work I do. I love the people I meet. We have an absolutely fantastic team. I mean, I, we always joke about it. Um, you know, you don't come to work for Women's Aid for the salaries. You come mm-hmm. because you're passionate about the work absolutely. that you do. Um, and it's it's what keeps us there, and it's because because of that passion, that commitment, um, that we're able to do the work we do and still maintain ourselves in a healthy and uh, vibrant workforce. So it's um, yeah, it's about getting that balance right. And I have to say, getting to know some of the staff over the last two years since I've been on the board, I'm just struck by the level of commitment and the work that mm. they do. And you're right, it's nobody's there for the salary in that. You know, it's it's there because of the passion yeah. and they've faced extraordinary challenges like many people working within that sector mm. over the last few years and they've they've dealt with it head on, all of yeah. you have. So it's really difficult. But as you said there, you still seem to be able to remain kind of upbeat and what do you like to do, I suppose, to kind of relax and maybe take <laughs> your head out of work because it is quite, you know, stressful mm. and there's always some new challenge to deal with. Yeah. Well, I suppose I'm, I'm fortunate on, on lots of different levels. Um, I mean, I, I'm a walker by nature and I love the hills and the mountains. Unfortunately, I have a back condition that doesn't allow me to do that. Mm-hmm. But throughout my life, on the weekends, I was up the mountains Monday, Saturday to Sunday and um, loved outdoor pursuit type things. I love canoeing and stuff like that. I'm also very fortunate that I have a partner who really enjoys outdoor pursuits <laughs> along with Thank me. So we spend a lot of time outside. Yeah. Um, and my gardening. <laughs> I love the garden. I, I do a lot of, um, spend a lot of hours in the garden, uprooting and planting and doing all different things. And I have an extremely supportive family. My my own siblings, my father, um, are extremely supportive of the work we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have great friends who are very supportive as well. So, you know, I, I can... Um, left a phone and phone anybody and Good. I know that they'll be there at the end of the phone and if I need somebody to help me with something or if I need just to rant and rave and you know yeah. <laughs> let, let off some steam I know where to go to, to do that as well oh, and that's they're very forgiving that is great you really need that kind yeah. of outlet don't you especially working in that um you know yeah. a difficult sector um but just getting back there I, I mentioned a few figures at the start I know they were mm. they're quite general and we don't like to I mean the you know, just look at stats and, but I suppose it helps us kind of, you know, come to terms with the mm. actual level of demand that's out there. But in Northern Ireland, I suppose the this, the figures are quite startling mm. and that an average of 35 incidents, um, it, a woman can experience 35 incidents, this is on average before actually reporting it to the police. So there seems to be a severe case of under-reporting, you know, why do you think that is and why do you think the statistics are maybe so high? Yeah, I, I think this is uh, crucial <coughs> because um, what we, we, we stats only tell you one thing, they tell you figures, that's mm-hmm. all. They don't tell you of the trauma yeah. of, of the experience. And I know without any, you know, beyond doubt that every woman and child person we work with is a traumatised person mm-hmm. because Nobody, you know, walks into a fist and decides that's my life for the rest of, of my living. You know, they, they mm-hmm. don't do that. Uh, the course of control, the grooming element that occurs before the person who eventually ends up a victim of domestic and sexual abuse uh, happens way, way down the line, years earlier. Mm. And 
you know, they're very skilled perpetrators. And depending on how skilled they are is how you how they hide. Because they will present themselves to everybody else as being really decent people or really good people or whatever whatever their public face is. But there's a whole grooming happens way early on in that relationship that is part and parcel of creating compliance. And it's it's, you know, horrific on one end to think that there are people who actually set out to do this and for a lot of people that's very difficult to to believe that somebody would intentionally do this but evidence around the world proves again and again and again that perpetrators of domestic sexual violence intend to do it not only do they do it but they continue to do it and the level of what the abuse is continues to increase as, as they go along. So the coercive control, the manipulation. So we expect victims and we ask, why doesn't you do this and why doesn't you do that? And we're expecting victims, the general populace expects victims to understand what's going on. Mm. When really the last person to understand what's going on is the person that has been done to. Because mm-hmm. they've been manipulated and coerced into believing that they're in a genuine relationship with somebody who cares about them and someone who loves them. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the person they fell in love with. They're trying to help the person they fell in love with deal with whatever demons they're going through. So they're they're caught up in a whole process of trying to make things better and taking responsibility for somebody else's mm-hmm. behaviour. And society demands that they do that as well. But when you start to look down at the whole grooming that happens at the start and get an, a proper understanding of coercive control, you see the sickening manipulation of a person mm-hmm. that that traps them, totally traps yeah. them and isolates them into a particular way of being and all the time on, on that treadmill of trying to make it better, trying to get it right, trying not to do that again so it won't annoy him and blaming themselves and feeling guilty and shame for something they're not doing. Yeah. Because the, per- the only person that's in control of that situation is the person that's creating the abuse. And there's a real misunderstanding around yeah. that. And I think, as you say, it's societal, but it's also institutional and structured. And you see yeah. now, even courts and judges yeah. are only now receiving training yeah. in understanding what a victim actually suffers yeah. um, before they appear before the court, if they if they have to take it that far. Because yeah. previously there was this, well, you know, attitude why didn't you just leave and you know how can you prove that and as you said it's a real manipulation and it's that person who doesn't understand so at least we see a little bit of a shift Mm. and maybe a small move but it's still there that high level misunderstanding yeah it's because we we think that well if somebody punched me i would leave but you're not in that relationship yeah if i would say if if the person you're in love with done something to you today mm-hmm. how many chances would you give them yeah because it's very rarely that we walk away from a relationship that you put a lot of time and effort into and and people who've experienced women and children who've experienced domestic and sexual violence put huge effort into trying to get that relationship right Back, because yeah. you know they've, they've ex- expended that energy and that effort and trying to get it right that it's very very difficult to walk away from that situation especially when there's children involved mm-hmm. because contrary to some people's belief women want their children to have a father mm-hmm. and they want them to have a good father and they want to have a supportive partner yeah you know they're not out to do men down yeah that's that's, that's a myth it's what a real effort to kind of to make it work and do you think there's a financial element within that too in terms of the control can absolutely also yeah it look commu- uh, domestic and sexual violence 
goes over every aspect of a human being's life. Everything, everything is their sense of who they are, their sense of whether <clears throat> they're they're a, a person that people will like or not like, how they operate on a day to day basis, how they interact with people, and finances. Yes, do they have the money in the purse to be able to get the bus? Do they have the money in the mm-hmm. purse to put food on the table? Are they in debt up to their eyebrows? Because the last time he beat her up, they had a family holiday on a credit card in her name to make up. And, uh, you know, it, it, the, the financial element is very much a part of, yeah. of the, the fear and, and the abuse behind it. Yeah. So obviously the demand we've just spoke about a little bit on your services is really significant and necessary. Let's just talk about this area. Um, but aside from the refuge, which we touched on, what other levels of support then and ser- can, can women's aid provide to service users within this area? Um, you know, women and, and children, I guess, because yeah, there's yeah. lots of young people go through the system. Yeah, this, this is um, something I, I constantly worry about. People see women's aid in a particular light. We're, we're open to all women. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what country she comes from, what county she comes from, mm-hmm. doesn't matter how much money she has or she doesn't have, doesn't matter what her experience. If she has experienced fear from an intimate partner, then she is welcome at our door and we will work to help her um, and her children and young people. So like um, you were saying earlier, we provide services right throughout the whole Newry Morning Down Council area, down as far as down Patrick, and we cover the whole of the Armagh, Banbridge and Quig Avon area. Um, so the Southern Trust area and the South Eastern Trust area um, where we deliver service to. And we deliver a whole raft of services. Mm-hmm. So it can be from that very high risk um potential homicide and, and we work with the top 10% high-risk victims in Northern Ireland uh, uh, with partners in, in the statutory as well. Um, so we provide programmes for women because one of our tasks is to help women understand what their experience has been, to help them understand that they were manipulated, that they were coerced, that they had become compliant because that was the only way for them to survive and to uh, try and help them and it's not us that does it either in total it's the other women when they do a program and the women sit together and they hear each other's experience and they're shocked and horrified that your experience is so similar to my experience so how could it be my fault if you were experiencing exactly the same thing and then they start to understand the manipulation mm-hmm. and the coercive and they start to understand how they were trapped in that relationship and that's really really important but beyond that we, we work with children and young people we do one-to-one sessions we We run programs, we're in schools, we're training the primary school teachers to deliver our Helping Hands program, which they love and there's a huge demand for it. Um, and we train, we go into the post-primary schools, at least we did before COVID-19. Mm-hmm. It's a, a whole different ballgame now. And, and we're, we're right across both them areas and get into the schools to deliver Heading for Healthy Relationships and helping our young people, girls and boys, understand the difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship. And that's very, very important because when young people are confused about that and they're confused about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And sometimes if you're only seeing something through your own lens, Mm -hmm. you can't see the nature of the abuse that sits in how your perspective of what of what's okay what's healthy so there's a big educational piece there being Huge. delivered yeah. from um your staff yeah. it's fantastic and it's great to have partners i suppose within like you, you mentioned their statutory bodies but i mm. suppose within this district you work closely with the council with the schools oh, yeah. you yeah. know so it's fantastic to have that and i think 
you know, people really recognise and value the work that Women's Aid do. You know, That's it comes up at different meetings that you take, yeah. you know, so it's really part of the community, I suppose. Yeah. And it just has that respect that, you know, people really want want to help and want to partner with because it's so important. And as you said, it's a massive area as well that yeah. you cover. Yeah. You know, there's a huge... Yeah. I think I think for, I mean, the support we get from the community is fabulous. And we put an appeal out and, my God, the phones are ringing off yeah. the, the wall. It's, it's fantastic for that. I think domestic and sexual violence is, is a, you know, a topic that's not easily digested by yes. people. And um, we, we tend not to want to to see it as to see it. No, look, nobody wants to go out of the way to say it, but um, it's everywhere. It's, yeah. it's next door to you. It's across yeah. the street from you. It's up that hill. It's around that corner. It, it, there's so much of this. And it's, it's, people tend to look for the, the bruises, mm-hmm. the, broke, the breaking, broken bones. Um, they tend to look for the physical evidence yeah. uh, of, a, of, a, of a domestic violence situation. But the real harm is psychological mm-hmm. abuse. The real harm of, you know, manipulating and coercing somebody to the extent where they have no sense of themselves, mm-hmm. that every thought they think is a perpetrator's thought. Mm-hmm. They, they rub out the individual. Yeah. And part of our job is to help that individual, that woman, that family, that mother, them children, find their way back to a sense of themselves. Fantastic. Yeah, it's so important, that psychological impact for us to even, you know, get to grips with that. You're yeah. right, it's not just the physical that people no. expect to see. Mm. So there's a whole, gosh, background yeah. piece there yeah. that you Well, just, you just to with. look from your perpetrator can shut you up immediately. Yeah. You could be out with your friends and their friends, you could be in a bar, you could be at a, a dinner or whatever, and you're joining in, and just one look will tell you. Yeah. Shut your that mouth. kind of control. Yeah, mm. yeah. So just um, as well, I mean, we're all in a very difficult time now. I suppose we're going into potentially, well, it's the second lockdown with the possibility of further restrictions. And just, I know being on the board there recently with Women's Aid, I could see just, you know, how it impacted just the way you work. And of course, you're very visible at meetings and present and a lot of your staff would travel and it's suddenly Mm. all boiled down to to Mm. the, the Zoom calls and all of that, like everywhere else, I suppose. But just how does this time now Eileen concern you and your staff just in terms of the service users and your staff too I suppose who really have to navigate yeah. this lockdown and yeah. manage you know, well I have to say uh, the staff have been fantastic you know I have brilliant managers and they have managed the COVID-19 situation my goodness uh, the staff we're all working as usual yeah. we're all back we were off for a while but we were back into our offices in June once we got the the COVID-19 safety uh, things in place mm-hmm. and staff have been uh, very, very, very good at minimising the risk to each other and to uh, any woman or child that comes into the door. It has, it has impacted. Certainly, it has. It's a new way of doing things. Uh, Zoom has become the the highway <laughs> of my life <laughs> at the moment. Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but you know, it's 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 doable. We're doing it. I suppose our real fear and dread isn't for ourselves. Our worry is for the women yeah. that are now in lockdown with their perpetrator mm-hmm. and with the children and young people. And I know, you know, from women have been coming back into me that they've been telling us of what that has been like and about how they are tiptoeing um, and how their children are tiptoeing and how they're really trying to be um, as good as possible oh, so they don't push that trigger. Yeah. Um, and and we, we help them with that as much as possible. But 
there's nowhere for women to go to make a phone call. There's yeah. nowhere for women, if you know, they can't go out of the house, they're not allowed to drive. And, and it just gives the perpetrator so much more power and control yeah. to really, really dictate every, every second of that person's life. Yeah. Um, imagine, imagine being totally dominated in that way. So really fearful. I, I mean, um, terrified that we're going to hear of more homicides. Yeah. Um, that's the real risk, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, the increase in violence. And just to even think about that, I mean, lockdown's hard for everybody, but of course there's different levels, but children to be in that yeah. situation where they're just, as you said, terrified of pulling the trigger or triggering mm. some kind of, you know, outburst. It's just really, really worrying. But I think, I think in the last lockdown, the messaging that you sent out and Women's Aid as an organisation mm. in general was fantastic okay. because it really, you could see it just in, Twitter and, and mm, all the rest, mm. the, the normal social media outlets, people were really responding to it. Mm. And even people I know who wouldn't, you know, be that, they know what Women's mm-hmm. Aid does. And, mm-hmm. But they were really struck by this sense of, you know, gosh, people now have nowhere to yeah. go. Yeah. Imagine feeling trapped like that. So I think from an awareness piece, um, the organisation did a great job good. in putting that out there yeah. because you did see a surge of different groups and individuals kind of mm. getting together to mm. think of ways to come up you know mm. with um whether it was toiletries or whatever yeah. it was money yeah. to support uh, the response was great i mean we delivered to hundreds and hundreds of food parcels and clothing um to women and children throughout that whole time the staff were on the road constantly mm. making sure people the, the people that we could visit that we were able to get things to it and those people who we couldn't get to we would have circumvented maybe by going to a mother or a sister or a friend and leaving it there so they could get it in yeah. that channel. Um, so we do, we take whatever road we need to take to mm-hmm. be able to get this, this get resources out to people, yeah. But the public response was fantastic, yeah. Sarah, it really it was. It really was, yeah. which is brilliant. And, and what I'd like to say is, you know, for anybody that there is, and we've put it out and we'll put it out again on our social media, for anybody who can make a 999 call mm-hmm. but can't talk because they're terrified of being heard, they just have to then tap Five five, and the call handler will know that's a domestic violence um, distress call, and the police will come. Oh, that's so important. So we're putting that out. There's a police campaign at the moment that's right. putting that out as well. So that's really important. That is and so we important. will put that out again Great. in our social media. Yeah, we'll share that too. So just say it again. So it's if you ring the nine if your phone nine nine nine. Yeah. but you're too frightened or it's too risky for you to actually mm-hmm. make any noise, then you just tap 5-5 five, 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 and the call handler will know this domestic violence situation. Brilliant. Wow, yeah. that's great. Um, so just um, moving on a little bit, despite obviously this being a very difficult time for the charity sector in general, um, Women's Aid and of course your user, you know, the, the service users, um, it's it's been incredibly difficult. But just there's some exciting plans ahead, I suppose, for the organisation itself. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Really? Well, the, the demand continues to grow. I mean, our waiting lists are, are, are can be up over 300 mm-hmm. at times and um, the board have been working very very closely with me on how we actually try and extend our services to, to, to meet the greater need. So they've purchased, we, we used our own funding to purchase the building which was vacant next door to us and we have a business plan that I'm currently driving forward with funders and the uh, um, Department of Communities. Uh, we have a buy-in from the Department of Communities, so that's fantastic. Uh, I just have to get all the other ducks in a row, and uh, <laughs> I'm doing that on a daily basis. <laughs> but it's the Elias Centre, and really, it's it's while it's the Elias Centre, it's 
the center is an alias. Alias is a concept. It's about empowerment. It's about learning. It's about opportunity. It's about helping people find the path that's going to help them become independently viable. It's going to be economically healthy. They're looking at their whole well-being, their whole health and well-being, because domestic violence um, <coughs> creates huge problems in the lives of people who, who suffer from it, who, who ex- experienced it, and who suffer the trauma of domestic violence. So we have significant mental health issues running right through. We have complex needs, um, you know, quite wide complex needs. We have women and young people who have suicidal ideology and we work very closely with our local um, grassroots community here. We work very closely with the likes of PIPs and with community uh, advice near Moon Down to help people manage debt, to help them manage suicide ideology and mental health issues. And Elias is about bringing all that together in, in, under the one roof and being able to have a centre which people feel safe in. But they're not just coming for women's aid service, they're coming mm. for other services that help us help them mm. recover fully as best they can from the trauma they've experienced. So, Amazing. yeah, um, interesting days and years ahead. Inter- <laughs> a lot of hard work behind it, yeah. you know, and planning, yeah. but what, and like, it'll just be fantastic. Well, and this centre, it will be for, this, it's for yeah. the Newry people, it's for the people yeah. of Newry, it's for, you know, I, I'm hoping what this brings in is a sense of community ownership Mm-hmm. that they see that the work of Women's Aid and all the other work is part and parcel of their community mm-hmm. and they own it as much as, as yeah. anybody owns it because it needs to be, we need to work very, very close to the ground as a community. Yeah. And, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that being from here and working here in my local community, that the work I do is for the community. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that the community get on board with it as well and see what we do is what they do. Yeah. Oh, I think you'll, yeah. there'll be no doubt that people will support this. It's so exciting and yeah. you can just tell by the way you're speaking but all of the staff are like that aren't they everybody's kind of geared up for it so but a huge amount of work behind the scenes to get this in place we know there is but I mean what an asset at the end of the day and to have that space as well Eileen just to you know the space just to kind of expand your plans and your ideas Mm. so it's fantastic we've actually and it's it's not up and going but we've nearly outgrown it even that I mean we are are we have no space at the moment. We really are. Mm. And COVID-19 has really exacerbated yeah. that because, you know, you've had to do the social distance and everything. But, um, you know, in order to do the work that really needs to be done, mm-hmm. you need the space to do it in. Mm. And the Elliott Centre will give us that. So just leading in, I suppose we'll, we'll wind it up, but it's great to finish on that note. But just your vision, Eileen, as the CEO of Women's Aid, just for the next, you know, the planning ahead this is a massive part of your plans but just with covid with the pandemic getting through this and getting over it how do you see things faring out with your organization um unfortunately you know our, our vision is to eliminate domestic violence mm-hmm. but women's aid are never going to eliminate domestic violence on their own that is going to take a community response. That is going to take the women and the men in our society to say, we will no longer tolerate this. I hope that by the time I retire from Women's Aid, that I see a real community spirit uh, who want to eliminate domestic violence and sexual abuse from our society. And let's start here in Newry. Let's start here with a, a real community response to zero tolerance for domestic and sexual violence Mm -hmm. that's my vision brilliant and that's what i work for every day 
So it's that partnership, community Absolutely. approach, yeah. And I mean, you've, you've all done a great job so far, but you just wanted to continue in that vein. So just to let our listeners know, the purpose of this podcast is to increase awareness for the charity whilst helping to raise much needed funds. So listeners can actually donate to oh, yeah. Women's Aid um, through our own website as well that we're going to have set up here. So it'll be um, www.granitepodcaststudio.com. You'll be able to see a link there for all of our charities who've joined us. But I want to say a big thank you, Eileen, for coming in today. It's just been great. I know that was kind of short and we've so much to discuss, but really a really good insight into the work that you do. And I wish you the very, very best. Thank you. And thanks to everybody out there who support us. We really do appreciate it. Brilliant. Well, okay, listeners. So join me on the next episode where I'll be talking to Colin Bell from the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. Thanks. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.